Well, hello everyone. It's really wonderful to be with you online today. Thank you for joining us in our online service. And I'm looking forward to continuing our journey in the book of 1 Kings with you today. We're going to continue with the story of Elijah. And this is the story that we're going to find in 1 Kings chapter 19. One chapter on from where Roland took us last week. My voice does sound a little bit weird this week because we're going to speak about entering into silence. And to give me a first-hand experience of that, the Lord decided to... Uh, remove my voice for a day or two and so it's just coming back now and um, so hopefully you can still hear me and understand what I'm saying but we're going to have a, I really believe a good time as we go with the Lord into 1 Kings chapter 19 so let's do that together today whenever you're watching this and uh, let's allow the Lord to speak to us from that 1 Kings 19 is a very well known piece of scripture. It's a very familiar story. It's the story of Elijah the prophet running away into the desert and encountering God there at Mount Sinai in that still small voice. And sidebar, because we're not going to talk about this today, but if you want to do an interesting study on this passage, compare it to the story of Moses. There are a lot of parallels in these two stories. Both men flee for their lives. Both men encounter God at Mount Sinai or Horeb, uh, the two words are used interchangeably in Scripture. Potentially even the thinking is that they, have, they even encounter God in the same cave, in the same cleft in the rock that Moses is hidden as the Lord's glory passes by. It's, we think it's the same place where they encounter God. Moses spends 40 years in that desert. Um, uh, Elijah spends 40 days. Uh, it's really interesting just to have a look at it. At that, When Jesus is transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's Moses and Elijah that appear on either side of him. So just there's an interesting parallel for us to explore there, and I'd love to encourage you to go and do that. You can read Moses' story in the beginning of the book of Exodus, and again in Exodus chapter 33. You can just see that for yourself. But we're not going to do that today. We're going to do something else today. Undoubtedly, if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for some time, you would have heard the story before and you would have heard it preached before. If you haven't, I'm really excited to bring this perspective to you for the first time. But we're going to look through a slightly different lens at 1 Kings chapter 19. I want to invite you to see a reflection in the story of a significant way in which God chooses to interact with his people. As we look at the story together today, we're going to focus on the role and the place of silence in our relationship to God. There's a lot else that we could take from the story. There's a lot else that God is saying in the story. But I want to, I'm going to focus on this idea of silence for us today. We're going to ask the question, is silence just coincidental to the story? Is it just happenstance and it's not the point of the story at all? Or is there something about silence that's important for our souls? Something about it that restores our connection to the divine and opens up the pathway between our spirit and God's spirit. Something perhaps so significant that we might actually need to do something about it in order to cultivate the practice of silence in our own lives. Let's dig in. Let's find out. First of all, let's do a little context. Right, if you read the previous chapter before or you've joined us last week, you'll know that Elijah has just concluded his showdown with the prophets of Baal and Asherah. God has displayed his glory and his lordship by bringing down fire from heaven to consume Elijah's sacrifice. Ahab, he's the Israelite king, and all of Israel, the northern kingdom, they've been soundly rebuked, and they've been called back to the worship of Yahweh. 400 prophets of Baal have been killed by the Israelite people. And finally, for the first time in three years, it has rained in Israel. I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty shattered 
after doing something like that. I already know how I'm going to feel after preaching this message four times on Sunday. And my Sunday is to Elijah's showdown, like your cute little kitty cat is to a full-grown lion. Right? They're both cats, but they're orders of magnitude different. But Elijah is basically, he's just come through crunch week. If you're a student, this is like the end of your exam week. If you're working, it's like financial year end or, or month end or harvest time or report time. or Whatever time is the craziest for you, it's like that. You get it, right? If you're retired, well, hopefully you have to remember what that's like. You don't still live it. <clears throat> that's where our story starts. Elijah is shattered. God has won. The people have reconfessed their dedication to the Lord. It's now time to rest and put his feet up. Let's jump in. 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 to 2. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel, that's his wife, everything that Elijah had done, including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. There's nothing quite like getting this text message on the morning of your day off. Hi, Brad. Just wanted to let you know that I really didn't enjoy your sermon yesterday. So just so you know, I've sent someone to kill you. Kind regards, your worst enemy. You know, that, understandably, Elijah gets that message. He freaks out of it. It's not great. Right? So verse 3, we read, Elijah was afraid, big surprise, and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. So Elijah's tired. He's just endured this incredible spiritual battle, and he is... He most desperately needs rest, but instead he has to flee for his life. And so he runs away. And for those of you who may be less familiar with Hebrew geography, Jezreel, which is where Ahab and Elijah both returned to after the showdown at Carmel, is in about the middle of the northern kingdom. It's just southwest of the Sea of Galilee. Right, so Elijah flees south from there. He runs out of the land of Israel, out of the northern kingdom, out of Ahab's jurisdiction. And he runs into Judah, but he doesn't just run to Judah, he runs to the most southern point of Judah, as far away as he can get from Ahab and from Jezebel. We also notice that it's at this point that Elijah leaves his servant behind. Now, the fact that the author makes this comment tells us two very simple but important things for us. Firstly, that up until this point, Elijah's servant has been with him. And so for our emphasis today, Elijah hasn't been alone. There hasn't been silence yet. We first introduced to the fact that he has a servant at the end of the previous chapter where he's praying for rain. His servant goes back to check for him. And now we find out that his servant has in fact stayed with him since at least that time. But the second important thing is it's at this point that Elijah chooses to leave his servant behind. He obviously thinks that his servant is going to be safe enough in Beersheba. And so it's at this moment where Elijah chooses to enter into silence. Let's follow the story one more step from here. Verse 4, then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. All right, let's pause here. Let's have a look at Elijah's state of mind for a moment. You notice that he doesn't seem to have a destination in mind doesn't he even seem to have a goal in mind. We're not told that Elijah went into the desert to pray or that Elijah retreated into the desert to seek the Lord. We're just told he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. At the end of the day, he sits down under a tree and he despairs of life. He's like, I'm done, Lord. I'm all in. I'm spent. I'm used up. 
I got nothing left to give. Just take me. Let it be over. I don't want in anymore. In today's terms, we'd probably diagnose him with burnout. Let's carry on. Verses 5 to 7. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. So he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So as Elijah is lying under the tree, the Lord in his grace ministers to him. Notice it's an angel that comes. But notice the interactions with the angel. They're, they're kind of minimal. They're actually a bit blunt, if we're honest. The angel doesn't say, oh, Elijah, my son, I love you. Do not fear. Everything's going to be okay. I've got you. You're safe here. It's like, hey, get up and eat. But in itself, this is something of an answer, right? Because God has not granted his request. God has chosen to preserve Elijah's life rather than take it. Notice we're given no indication that Elijah was prepared to cater for his own needs in any way. Without the sustenance of the Lord, it's quite fair to assume that Elijah may well have died in the desert. So Elijah eats and he drinks and he goes back to sleep. So still the picture of dejection remains. Having been given food and water, he doesn't get back on his feet, pick up his staff and head back to Beersheba. Let's go do the thing. Let's be the prophets. It's back to bed. I'm still tired. I'm done. So the angel comes again, gives him more food, more water. But this time it comes with a warning. He says, you need to eat this because there's a journey ahead of you and this is going to sustain you. For those of you who have a slight, uh, you know, who watch Lord of the Rings or have read Lord of the Rings, this really calls to mind that image of Galadriel giving the fellowship the lamb's bread to, to set them on their way for their journey. Right. So anyway, before we go any further, let's do a silence summary. Let's see what silence has happened so far. Elijah fled from Jezebel with his servants from Jezreel to Beersheba. At Beersheba, he leaves his servant and proceeds alone into silence. He travels in silence for one day, <clears throat> and he's still super dejected, and he's burnt out. And after a day of silence, he gets visited twice by an angel, who, whilst he doesn't comfort him, gives him water and bread to sustain him. Now guys, this is just a summary of what's happened. Right? It's not a formula for receiving the ministry of angels. I want to make that quite clear. I'm not making any direct applications from the story at this point. Okay, let's carry on. Let's go to verse 8. So he got up, ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. But only we just read this verse as a simple part of the narrative. Or we think about the amazingness of the food that sustained him for 40 days. But today I want us to stop here and think about what this simple sentence says. We're going, to, we're going to camp out here. We're going to, this is our lunch break. This is our stop. Elijah got up. He ate and drank. And then he traveled 40 days and 40 nights into the desert. 40 days, 40 nights into the desert alone. You know, I like to, I like to keep fit, right? I'm not very good at it, but I, I like to try and so on Mondays, I go with a couple of mates, we go for rides. Uh, we go for a ride up the mountain, we usually go ride up at Tokai. <clears throat> so this last Monday, because I've got a dog that's got separation anxiety, I can't leave her alone. And so we go at Hoppers 5 from Tokai. We leave from Tokai so that Glenda can get home, look after Shelby, and, uh, and she doesn't drive on air. It's crazy. Okay, so off we go at 5.30 up the mountain, 
and we're having a great time. We get up to the top of the snakes. We come down the snakes. For those of you who know Takai, and uh, come down the different trails. And as we're going down Fusbait, we get to the bottom half of Fusbait. We stop. We wait to make sure everyone's together. And lo and behold, one of the guys doesn't come down. So we go back up the mountain and we discover that he's got a puncture. And so after a bit of time, get the puncture fixed. But now because we started late, because of my dog, and uh, <clears throat> now we've had this puncture, we got to ride down in the dark. And it was a real interesting time, right? Navigating a downhill trail in the dark. That was that was one thing. And then, then my route home from Tokai goes through Tokai Forest. I don't want to cycle on the road because there's no street lights on the road. And I don't want to be hit by a car. So I went through the forest. Man, guys, cycling through the forest at like half past seven at night, it's kind of freaky. Very aware that you're alone. There's no one else there. It's dark. There's no lights. And your brain starts to freak out. You're like, what, what if there's people camping in the bushes? What if someone's going to try and mug me and steal my bike? Very aware of being alone. Very aware of the silence. Elijah was alone. 40 days, 40 nights. In the garden, God said it's not good for man to be alone. In fact, it's the only thing God said was not good. Because God made us and he designed us to be relational people. No matter how introverted you are, you still want relationships. We all know that's true. But here Elijah journeys for more than a month alone into the desert. <clears throat> Imagine you just turned your phone off for a week. Just one week. Right? Has anyone ever done that? Have you ever done that? Have you listened to this? Have you ever done that? Maybe you went on holiday and decided to turn your phone off. My wife and I, Glenda, we did that for our honeymoon. Best decision ever, by the way. Imagine you turned it off for a month. Imagine no work emails. Imagine no texts from your friends. Imagine no more constant chatter from your family group. Imagine you didn't get that super important or funny forwarded multiple times WhatsApp message. Imagine the internet wasn't in your pockets. Imagine not knowing what the weather was going to do tomorrow or what your friend did last night. For those of you who are maybe like Gen Z guys, imagine not having Instagram, no TikTok, no Snapchat. Imagine having nothing to scroll through as you sit and you're bored. Nothing to distract you for a month. Let's go a little deeper. What if, what if we had to take away Netflix? What if there was no YouTube? What if there was no DSTV? What if there was no TV at all? What if there was no news? What if you didn't know what was going on in the world around you? What if for 40 days there was just absolute silence from the noise of the world? Do we still even know how to live in that world? Does anyone remember being bored? You remember boredom? What about all the, the noise within? Right? That's the noise without. That's the noise of the world. What about the noise within? What about your fears? What about your anxieties? The stress that you carry on a daily basis. Will you pass the test? Will you make the milestone? Will you make rent this month? Will you be accepted to this institution? Will you nail the presentation? Will you get it done before the deadline? Will you make it to your daughter's ballet performance or your son's rugby match? What about the stress that we carry as Christians to be the kind of Christians we know that we ought to be? The kind of Christians where we're discipling others, where we're going to church, where we're attending a small group, where we know we need to forgive that flippant guy that, you know, like, where we need to help that cause, where we need to pray with that person who messaged you earlier about their brother's aunt's friend who's in a really difficult space. What if, for a period of time, we waited long enough for all of those voices 
to finally be quiet. And we were just alone in the silence with God. Now you can maybe begin to imagine the space that Elijah was in when he finally reached the cave at Sinai. Verse 9. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. The Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. They've killed every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord spoke to him. For 40 days, Elijah has been walking slowly through the wilderness. In silence. Alone with his thoughts. Alone with his fears. Perhaps he's lost in them because he still arrives at Mount Sinai and he's still dejected and he's still downcast. He's got no answers to the questions that are weighing on his heart. And into that silence, the Lord speaks. It's not an angel this time. It's God himself at his famous mountain. Why have you come, Elijah? His question gives Elijah the avenue that he needs in order to express the grief, to express the confusion that's sitting in his heart. He gives him license to express that which most troubles him. Verse 11. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. And it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. The beauty of doing this online is that we can add a few sound effects to help bring this a little closer to home. Just imagine experiencing all of these different phenomena, one after the other. A howling gale. The destruction of an earthquake. The roaring cackle of an inferno. Let's take a moment to bring these closer to home and connect them with our experiences. Thankfully for those of you who attend Connect, when we live in Cape Town, we're no stranger to serious wind. Think back to a moment in your life where the Cape Town Southeaster was really blowing. Maybe it was that day at Cape Town Stadium where the scaffold blew over. Maybe you were riding the August that day. The wind was pumping so strongly that people's super light bikes were getting blown down the road. Whenever it was, we know the howl of the wind here in Cape Town. When you've got to duck your head just to walk. When you have to be inside to try and speak to someone because you just can't hear anyone outside. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind comes an earthquake, which is a less common experience for us in Cape Town. But in 1969, there was an, the biggest earthquake that's ever hit our country struck in series. It was a 6.3 on the Richter scale. And my late father-in-law was hiking in the mountains near Ceres. And he's described that experience to me. And he said it was absolutely terrifying. There are these incredible sounds. There's this total insecurity. The, the very real threat of impending death as rocks falling all around you. And for Elijah, after this terrifying experience comes a raging fire. Again, for us in Cape Town, we can relate. When we look back at the major fires that have ravaged our mountain, we talk with the firefighters that have stood in the face of those flames. It's a spectacle of terror. It's the roaring flames, the inescapable, overwhelming heat that steals the oxygen from the very air that you breathe. 
but God was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle wind or whisper. Just picture that. Can you feel the counterpoint? Can you feel that everything leading up into this moment has been its antithesis? It's been loud. It's been concophonous sounds of the very mountain tearing itself apart. And then silence. Just the gentlest whisper of a breeze. This is one of those moments where it's the silence that's deafening. Where the absence of sound is the most notable moment. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. God was in the silence. God chose to show himself in the absence of everything else. Let's begin to bring this home. Elijah had a unique experience of God after he ran away into the wilderness, into the silence, for a 40-day detox. And in it, he met with God, spoke with him, where God renewed him and restored him. What do we learn from that? What is silence to do with us? Hopefully you've seen, if you made it this far in the message, that silence is antithetical to our culture. Our culture is the opposite of science. Our culture rejects simply being, telling us that you must fill your time. You must be busy, you must be productive, you must multitask. Ours is a culture of distraction, especially for my fellow millennials or any of the younger Gen Z guys out there following Jesus. Everything around us is fighting, craving our attention. Sometimes God is in the silence. Sometimes, in order for us to hear God, we have to silence all those other voices around us. Our God, when we abide in His vine, produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control in us. Our God is a God who values the quiet over the crazy, who values focus over multitasking, who values devotion over distraction. And if the noise in our lives is too loud, our chance of finding God in the quiet is sadly so small. It was fear and burnout that drove Elijah into silence. But for Jesus, it was the Spirit. It was the Spirit that drove him into the wilderness. Now, I was listening to an audiobook the other day that offered a perspective that was so profound about Jesus' time in the wilderness. The author said this, he says, when Jesus walked into the wilderness, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, was he at his weakest because he was hungry and hadn't eaten for 40 days? Or was he at his strongest because he had spent 40 days in fasting, prayer, and silence before the Lord? Hearing and being strengthened by God in the silence so that he can endure the greatest temptations the devil had to offer. Leave that with you to think about. Let me close with this. We live in a world that is busy beyond measure. And yes, we absolutely can and should seek God in the midst of the busyness of our day to day. But how can you create spaces of silence for yourself? Spaces where all those other sounds are drowned out. Spaces where it's just you 
and God. Where your phone is off and the office can't reach you. Jesus frequently withdrew to the wilderness to pray. We ignore Jesus at our own peril. I'm going to close for us and I'd love us to take at least a minute or two just to be in silence together. If you're watching this online, then I'd love you to pause the video after this. And I'd love you to just contemplate and ask this question. How can I create spaces of silence in my life? And then the MCs will wrap up. But let's wait on God in the silence. And let's look and see how we can create silence in our life. So that we don't miss the Lord in the silence. God bless you.